much, team. You can all have a seat. I just want to echo Ben and Amy's thanks to the team who put on last night. As someone who just got to sit there in their camp chair eating a sausage sandwich and ice cream, it was such a blessing to be served by the incredible team, many of whom I can see have backed up for a Sunday morning. I struggled to get here on time and got to go to bed at a reasonable hour, so well done. Um, I felt so blessed and it was incredible. I felt so proud to be part of a community that could put on such a professional and incredible the presentation of the gospel and the Christmas story. I mean, people would pay lots of money to go and see a show like that. Um, so, well done. I'm also very honoured that Jesus' own parents, Mary and Joseph, have been our special guests in the service this morning. I don't know if the angel is here. I can't quite see her, but um, good to have you, Mary and Joseph. You're looking well after the birth last night. <laughs> Backed it up, yeah. As, as we were singing, I saw Hudson T um, Sattler give a massive big yawn. And I thought, yeah, that's where a lot of us are this morning, mate. But whether we're tired or full, it's so good to be uh, with you all this morning uh, together. So as I was sort of thinking and praying about what to speak with you about today, obviously we're two weeks out from Christmas. Newsflash, if you haven't got sorted yet. Don't go into a mild panic. Two weeks from Christmas, and I just love all of the Christmassy things. I'm one of those people who just can't wait to put their Christmas tree up. I love all the lights. I loved last night. I was just cherishing every single moment when my kids wanted to play on the playground. I was like, but I just want to be part of the carols. I want to watch every bit. And I just couldn't get past this verse that jumped out for me. It's a well-known and well-loved verse from Ephesians 2. Many of you will know it off by heart. But it says, and by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. And so because we're in the gift-giving season, I wanted this morning to take us back to remember the best gift that we have been given, the greatest gift that we have been given. So let me just read to you from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. You can look at it on your phones or it might be easier just to follow on the screens. And then we'll dive in. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which, which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I was chatting to a team member from my work the other day and she was quite new and she said to me, so where did you grow up? And I said to her, oh, I actually grew up in the Sutherland Shire. And a person in the cubicle next to me pushed back on their chair and said, that explains a lot. Now, I don't know if you guys know about the Sutherland Shire, also known as the Shire, but I have come to learn that there are some similarities between the Shire and the mountains. So, the Shire people believe that it is God's country. It is the best place to live in the world. Some similarities there. In general, the people from the Shire don't like the city. They don't like anyone else to come to their God's country. And I'm yet to learn if this is true for the mountains or not, but people from the Shire rarely leave. So people are always surprised that I got out, I left, and I came to what is actually God's country, the mountains. (laughs) But it's good to know where you come from. Whenever you discover that someone grew up in the same place as you or they know your suburb, you start talking about the school that you went to and the local shops and what you did on a Friday night. It's, you have this sort of shared heritage with people. My husband grew up in Bathurst, and so anytime there's anyone remotely from out west, he gets excited talking to them about the Bathurst hotspots. We like to know, which, just as a side note, there aren't many. Uh, <laughs> We like to know where we've come from. We like to know who we were, what we, where we came from. And Paul, right at the beginning of this letter to the Ephesians church, wants to remind this church, wants to remind these people where they came from. So he says in verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. It's great that Paul starts on such an upbeat note. You were dead. I sort of looked up the word dead in the Greek to sort of understand it more. And basically, it means that they were dead. That's what it means in the Greek. (laughs) And, I mean, some of you might do this as well. My boys and I like to walk around the Glenbrook Lagoon. And it's a beautiful spot. Often, sort of, the ducks are waddling around. The sun's reflecting off the water. And it's this random patch of water in the middle of Glenbrook. And we like walking around. It's very serene. But all around the perimeter are these large signs with big capital red letters that says, polluted water, no swimming, no fishing, no drinking, and about five other things that you're not allowed to do. And so even though this lagoon looks so beautiful and serene, it's actually polluted, it's actually dirty. And what Paul is saying is that before we followed Christ, that's what we were like. We might have looked okay on the outside. We might have looked like everything was fine. We might have looked beautiful and serene and happy. But on the inside, we were polluted. We were dirty. We were cut off from God. God says, you were, Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But what does it look like to be dead? What does it mean for us to be dead in our sins? Well, I remember when I was in high school, a friend of mine said that she didn't want to be a Christian anymore. She said she was tired of following the rules, tired of having to do whatever she was told to do. But what she didn't realise is that if you're not following Jesus, you're following something else. And here, Paul outlines in Ephesians 2 three things that we used to follow before we started following Jesus. We were following the world, we were following the devil, and we were following our own flesh. 
So let's go through that. He says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. I remember a youth pastor telling this story about that he was at this youth camp and um, there was this group of young people who were swimming in the ocean and there would have been about 30 of them all sort of swimming in this spot together and they were having an awesome time, they were laughing and playing and going up and down the waves. But what they didn't realise was that they were slowly, they were caught in a rip and they were being slowly taken out to sea. They were getting further and further away from land and further and further away from the flags. Now, what happened after they had been rescued, a couple of the young people said, oh, yeah, I did actually notice that we were getting further and further away. But because there were so many people around me, I didn't say anything. Because everyone else looked happy and cheerful, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to raise alarm. I certainly didn't want to put my hand up to get rescued because there were so many of us and everyone seemed to be fine. But what was happening is that even though this group thought they were fine, they were being slowly taken out to sea and they eventually needed to be rescued. And that's what it can be like when we're following the ways of the world. We can say the same things, buy the same things, do the same things as the world. And everything looks fine because everyone around us is doing the same thing. Already my son started kindergarten. He's already saying, but everyone else is doing it. I think you're only six and we're having this conversation of peer pressure. And that's what it is when we follow the ways of the world. We're doing what everyone else is doing, but we're slowly drifting out to sea in need of a rescue. And that's what Paul says we were doing before we were found in Christ. We were following the ways of the world. But secondly, we were also following the devil. The New Living Translation translates it this way. It says, You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. See, ever since the devil tempted Eve in the garden, he's wanted to control people on earth. He's wanted to control their mind, their thoughts, their actions, the things that they do. He's wanted to be in control. Once again, I was walking around the Nepean River on the river walk. I know lots of you like to do it because I often see many of you down there. And there's lots of signs on the Emu Plain side that says, beware snakes in this area. And every time I see them, I think that's the kind of attitude we need to have when it comes to the devil. Because before we were found in Christ, the devil wanted us. He was in control of our thoughts and our minds. Beware, there are snakes in this area. Jesus has conquered. He is in control. But we are still on the earth where the devil is roaming. And he still wants to take control of our thoughts and our minds and our emotions. And before we were in Christ, we were under his control and influence. We were following the world. We were following the devil. And we were also following our own flesh. Paul says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. See, before we were in Christ, we were submission, unable to conquer our own passions of the flesh. We were only under control of our own inclinations. I remember when I was growing up, we used to try to squeeze as many Christmas events on the one day as we could. We would sort of start off with this brunch at my house and it was this massive 
amount of food that my mum would do with multiple courses and triple desserts. And then we'd go over to my grandma's house for another massive late lunch. Then we'd travel to go see my cousins for afternoon tea. And then for dinner, we would drive up to Newcastle and have a late Christmas dinner with my other grandma. Now, for each of these people hosting these events, they wanted to put on a good serving, so they would make heaps of food for us. And as a teenager or a young girl, I would go to each of these events and I'd be driving there thinking, in the car, I'd be thinking, I'm so full. I cannot eat any more food. I've just had three bowls of ice cream and a massive roast lunch. I'm not going to eat anything. I'd walk in, I'd see the freshly baked brownies and they were just in my mouth. I would go to the next event. I remember my grandma used to make freshly baked bread and the minute I saw it, I just, three slices were down and I just would eat it. And I would get to the end of the day and I would just think, how did I get here? How did I eat so much food when I was full at 9am? But it's because I hadn't learned the art of self-control. I was submitting to the passions of my flesh. On a more serious note, I remember listening to a podcast earlier in the month from International Justice Mission, IJM, who can help rescue trafficked girls. And it was a story about a man who in all other respects was a very integrous and well-respected grandpa. But at night, he would engage in online sexual exploitation of children. In the morning, he would regret it. He would be full of shame. He would hate himself. He'd be so embarrassed by his behavior. But the next night, there he was again in front of his computer. He was addicted to the way it would make him feel. He was fully submitted to the passions of his flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. And that is who we once were. Paul says, that is where you came from. And we can't forget it because we were following the world. We were following the devil. We were following the passions of the flesh. But in verse 4, Paul says the two words that I can't think would be more transformative or precious or powerful in today's age. He says, but God. But God. Isn't there power and change in those words? But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Made us alive together with Christ. Did God make us alive because we, we fixed ourselves up? Because we got ourselves onto the nice list and off the naughty list? Did God make us alive because the elf on the shelf reported that we're doing okay? No, God made us alive even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Even when we were following the ways of the world. Even when we were following the devil. Even when we were deep into following the passions of our own flesh. God made us alive together in Christ. But God, God took us in the depths, in the darkness, in the valley when we were dead. As I said, there was no other description for the fact that we were dead I mean, it's a pretty strong word to use, but God, but Paul is trying to explain to us, you contributed nothing to this transformation. There was not a 1%, there was not a 0.001%, you were dead. But God made you alive in Christ. God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive in Christ. And why? 
because it's something that we did, because it's something we contributed, because we've got a gold star at the end of our year. Why? Because of which the great love with which he loved us. It was because of God's love that he made us alive in Christ. So Paul wants us to know where we came from. But he also wants us to know where we are now. He says that God raised us up. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, not only did God raise us up, not only did he bring us from death to life, not only did he do to us what he did to his son Jesus when he rolled away the tomb and tore through the curtain and raised Jesus from the dead, not only did he do that for us, but then he seated us in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. And notice the tense. This is not something that's going to happen in the future. This is past tense. If you've believed in Christ, then he has raised you up and he has already seated you in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. And where is Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms? Well, if you read through Ephesians 1, it tells us that Christ Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father in the place of honour, above every power, every rule, every authority, over every name. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God and who is sitting with him? You and I. Not because we deserve that place of honour, not because we deserve to sit on a throne, not because we deserve to be above the name that is above every name, but because of the great love with which he loved us. Now you might have woken up this morning a bit tired from last night, Like me, you might have had a child calling out your name when you didn't want to get out of bed. And it may not feel like you're sitting at the right hand of God the Father. It may not feel like you're sitting on a throne above every rule and authority. But that is where we are seated. And Colossians 1 says that our real life is hidden with Christ. Our real life is with him. So regardless of what you see in front of you, regardless of what you're walking through at work or school or with family, your real life is with Christ. And where is that? In the heavenly realms, seated beside God the Father at the greatest place of honour. And when you know when you have to go up a mountain, you get to the lookout and it gives you this whole new perspective That's the kind of perspective that you have when you're sitting on the throne of Christ. You're looking down at the world and all of a sudden you can see how God sees because you're sitting next to him. So remember that. Remember that that is where God has raised you. He raised you from death to life and put you in the heavenly places. That is what he has called to us. And that is where we are. So I want to finish now by giving you three quick things to remember. He's raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So the first thing is, don't go back to that place. So we were once dead. God, Paul has reminded us of where we came from. So let's not go back there. Let's not go back to following the world and doing what they do, spending our money the way that they do, saying the things that they do, just doing it because it's what the world teaches us to do. Let's not follow the ways of the world anymore. Let's not go back there. Let's not follow the devil, the prince of the power of this air, however subtle it may be. 
I was talking to a friend this week who she had been saying that her thoughts had just been taking her to a deeper and darker place and she had been letting herself go down this rabbit hole and she realized that it was the devil wanting to lead her down there but she realized that he who is in her is greater than he who is in the world that she's not under the authority of the devil anymore. She is victorious with Jesus because he conquered the devil on the, de- on, the, on the cross. When he died on the cross and he rose again, he said, it is finished. The battle has been won and she and you and I are on the winning side. We've been raised with Jesus. And so when those thoughts come or those impulses come or whatever comes, you know what it is. You declare, no. <laughs> I'm no longer under the control of the devil. I'm no longer following the ways of this world. I'm victorious with Christ. This isn't a transaction. This isn't a recipe that works. It is declaring that Jesus is in you and he wants to fight the battle with you. Don't let the devil take your thoughts there. Fight the battle because you have Jesus on your side. And lastly... Don't follow the ways of the flesh anymore. Take control. Step out of that and say, I am a temple of the, of the Holy Spirit. And when I walk with Christ, I will no longer gratify the desires of the flesh. So don't go back to that place. And now remember your space. Remember who you, where you sit now. Remember you sit in the heavenly places. You have the viewpoint next to Christ. You are seated with him in the right hand of God. So whatever you're facing, whatever is hard, whatever is tough, think I can do this because I'm sitting in the right hand of God. And one day I'm going to actually end up there. I'm going to be there. He's going to welcome me home. He's just warming the seat for me. Your real life is hidden with Christ. Don't go back to that place. Remember your space. And lastly, share the grace. The very last verse in this passage says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I just loved singing that song with you all about speaking the name of Jesus over all of their situations. I've been so challenged this Christmas season to be more overt about my faith. When I say share the grace, I don't want you, and I'm preaching to myself here, I don't want you to just be loving and kind this Christmas. I want you to share what you believe. I want you to share about Jesus. I want you to tell people that you've been brought from death to life, that you used to be following the the world, the devil and the flesh, but now you're following Jesus and it was all because of his grace. It was all a gift from God. Many of you know that I work for an organization called Open Doors that supports persecuted Christians. And I've been looking all through the Bible about persecution. And one of the things is that Jesus tells us to expect it, to not be surprised when a fiery trial comes upon us. He was persecuted for his faith, and so we should be too. And so it makes me ask the question, well, why am I rarely persecuted And one of the things I've realized is because it's that I rarely share my faith. And so I'm preaching again to myself, but I encourage you this Christmas season, remember where you've come from and where you sit and share that with others because we forget, don't we? We forget what God has done in our life. And the best testimony to other people will always be your own. And God has made the body of Christ diverse so we can reach a diverse group. If you're a mum with young kids like me, speak to other young mums. Whatever season you're in, you're going to be most powerful in speaking to those who are in the same season. Share with them your testimony and what God has done in your life. 
Jesus was made alive. And when the disciples saw that empty tomb, they ran into town and they couldn't stop talking about what had happened. They couldn't believe that someone who had been dead was now made alive. Let's have that same excitement and enthusiasm for what God has done in us. Once we were dead and now we've been made alive. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing so no one can boast. It is the gift of God. Let's praise God for the gift this season. In Jesus' name.